Hello and welcome to episode 106 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Chris Sabo. Chris is a former three-time All-Star, a World Series champion, a member of the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame, and he's also the new manager of the Akron Zips. Chris, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Well, thank you. Thanks for uh, inviting me, and I look forward to it. Well, Chris, I ask everyone this right at the top of the show. Tell me what initially got you into baseball in the first place. Oh, I grew up in the city of Detroit, uh, Detroit, Michigan, and uh, we used to play baseball in the streets, and I guess uh, I was always good. We always played the different sports in the different seasons in Detroit. I was a big baseball, big hockey. I loved playing golf, and you know, we played a little football, and yeah, we just played whatever was going on. We were playing, so it just came natural uh, for all the kids in the neighborhood to start playing. Were you a high school phenom? Were you thinking about a major league career at this point when you were in high school? I was all state in high school. I went to Detroit Catholic Central in Detroit. I was all state high school. We won state championship at the highest level in the state of Michigan. And uh, I don't know if I was a phenom, but uh, I was drafted out of high school and chose to go to University of Michigan and got drafted again after three years at Michigan. So uh, I always believed I could play in the big leagues, uh, but, you, you know, it's an uncertain road ahead of you. you know, so, yeah. You had a very aggressive style of play. Where did that come from? I was always an intense uh, competitor in sports, whether it was hockey, baseball, and golf. I mean, I was uh, I always believed in giving, giving your all and leaving every ounce of energy on the field and, and trying to help your team win. I was all about the team, and, and uh, I just enjoyed playing. It, it was fun. It's, you know, obviously, I can't do it anymore, uh, but I just love the whole physical aspect of sport where you're running and sliding and hitting and throwing. I, I thought it was exciting. You did end up at Michigan. One of your teammates at Michigan ended up being your – Former, uh, future teammate and a future Hall of Famer in uh, Barry Larkin. How special was Barry at Michigan? Did you know he was a future Hall of Famer when he was a 19-year-old kid? No, no. Uh, I, I'm two years older than Barry, so my, my last year at Michigan was his freshman year, and, and uh, he played shortstop. And you could tell he was a very special player, but to say that uh, he was going to be a future uh, Major League Hall of Famer, uh, I couldn't say that. But you could tell he had all the uh, all the five tools uh, that you judge baseball players on. He had all five of those, and uh, you could tell once he perfected them, he was going to be a special guy. And uh, I was fortunate enough to play with him in the big leagues and on a world championship team. So uh, that was pretty special too. He was a hell of a player and a and a good friend of mine. The World Series just ended this year. The Red Sox beat the Dodgers, and there was a lot made during the series and during the playoffs in general about stealing signs and about tipping pitches. And those are two different things, but I'm just curious about your point of view on stealing signs. Do you think it's wrong? Did you think it was advantageous of a, as a batter if someone was giving you signs? No, I don't think it's bad. I mean, if, uh, if the staff or uh, the coaching staff and the players don't know how to conceal their signs, I mean, it's not that hard to conceal. I mean, there's different sequences and, uh, you know, and uh, but but if they come to a sequence where you know it's easy uh, to figure out, no, I think hey, more power to the uh, opposing team. I mean that's up to you. I mean I know when I manage, uh, you know I change signs up all the time, so you, know, you don't go into a predictable pattern where it's easy to uh, to find out. Uh, as far as myself personally, I never 
I never wanted to know what pitch was coming. It just, uh, you know, when I played, we, you know, if we could figure them out, we always had signals that someone would yell on the bench. You know, maybe if, if, if they yelled my first name, it was going to be a fastball. My last name was going to be a breaking ball. But uh, I just never seemed to hit the ball good when, when, I, when I knew what was coming. Maybe I was anxious or, uh, or something like that. So I preferred not to know. I used to tell those guys, don't let me know. If you figure it out, just, just let me react. I, I think I was a better reaction hitter. And uh, so for me personally, it wouldn't have made a difference because I couldn't stand it. Who was the best? What teammate did you have that was the best at, at stealing signs? And how did he do it? No, we had a, we had a few guys. I, I don't know. I, I I was terrible at it. I, I I couldn't do it. I mean, I it's it's mostly like uh, guys that are like former uh, that, that that were catchers, you know, because uh, uh, you know they're used to giving a ton of signs, and, uh, and maybe third base coach, you know, because he's used to having a lot of sequences when he's giving signs to the hitters and runners. Uh, so uh, I would say those guys were, were the best. I mean, Joe Oliver, I, I, he was a catcher. Uh, for me, uh, in the minor leagues, and, and the, uh, we, we played together in the big leagues, uh, he was pretty good at picking up signs. So, uh, especially if he got on second base looking in at the catcher, uh, he could figure it out pretty easily. So, uh, yeah, he probably was the best. But uh, for me, I couldn't do it. I mean, I, I tried. They, they'd tell me what the guy was doing, and I'd look, and I, I just couldn't figure it out. I was more of a reaction guy. A reaction guy, what was your general approach at the plate? Were you sitting fastball and waiting on breaking ball? What was your approach when you were going up there? Without question. I was a fastball guy. I mean, it was a, it was a go, go, go until it was a no. Uh, first of all, if uh, pitchers throw breaking balls the way they're supposed to, you're not going to hit them. I mean, if, if, if Greg's, uh, uh, John Smoltz throws me a slider, uh, the way he's supposed to, I am not going to hit that ball. And if I do, it will not be with any kind of force. So uh, I just I just reacted off the fastball, and then uh, I was ready for that, and then uh, I was a, a mistake hitter. So, you know, they threw a fastball. If they didn't, they threw a breaking ball, and they didn't throw it right. That's the ball I hammered. And uh, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's just too hard to adjust if you're looking uh, slow stuff and trying to catch up to 95, 96. It just isn't going to happen. I don't care how quick you are. I had quick hands when I was young, and uh, so yeah, I was. I, I, I went to bat thousands and thousands of times, and I look fastball every single time. I want to ask you, I, I guess this segues into tipping pitches, which is a different thing. But as a batter, if you see a pitcher tipping pitches, what are you looking for? Are you looking for a grip that's coming out of the glove? Are you looking at footwork? Some pitchers change their feet if they're uh, throwing a breaking ball. What are you looking at to see a tip? Well, there's different things. I mean, again, I wasn't great at this. And I really didn't want to know, but a lot of times, you know, uh, you know like for example, a, a pitcher would be, if he's throwing a fastball, the back of his gloves facing t- towards you, uh, when you're up at the plate, you can see the back of his hand. And a lot of, maybe sometimes when they're throwing a breaking ball, his, uh, his glove may be tilted 45 degree angle, you know, so he can get a better grip inside the glove to throw that breaking ball. I mean, that, that'd be a, that'd be a tip, uh, some, sometimes guys uh, uh, wiggle the ball more on a breaking ball. I mean, they, they get in there, and you can see them messing around with it a little bit more. Uh, or a fastball, they just go in there and, and, get, and get their grip. Uh, so it, it usually has something to do with the hands, you know, hands in the glove. I mean, how it's positioned. After your career at Michigan, you were drafted in the second round, and you spent five years in the minor leagues. 
How was that? Minor leaguers, you're not making a lot of money. You were a second-round pick, but still five years in the minors building your way up. Did you ever think about quitting? Did you ever think at, like, year three saying, maybe I'm not right for this? What drove you to keep going through? No, I mean, well, back then, that was pretty normal. Four, four and a half, five years in the minors. I mean, that was that was pretty. That was a pretty normal progression back in those days. Uh, you play a ball. You, you play. Uh, uh, you know, you might take two or three years in a ball, two or three years in double A, and a couple of years in triple A. I mean, that was pretty normal back then. Uh, no, I never thought about giving up. I had I had a real bad year. I got hurt uh, my first year in double A, Burlington, Vermont. And I had a terrible year. I mean, it was a, it was a terrible year, uh, you know, hitting-wise. Fielding-wise, I was fine. But uh, my injury really made it hard for me to hit effectively. Uh, and uh, you know, But even that didn't, uh, didn't make me want to quit or anything because I knew I wasn't healthy. And uh, I knew I'd probably have to go back to AA, and I did. I spent two years in Burlington, Vermont. This is a nice place. Uh, in fact, uh, Bernie Sanders was the uh, mayor of Burlington, Vermont, when I was there. Big, big baseball fan, and he used to go to a lot of our games, as a matter of fact. Uh, but no, I, I never doubted myself. I always thought I was going to get there. Didn't matter if it took, you know, four years or ten years. I was determined to keep working hard, and and, uh, and if I didn't make it, it wasn't because I didn't try. I mean, I, I'd, I'd try to do everything I possibly could to maximize what I had, and uh, it all worked out pretty good. What was the best piece of coaching advice you ever received at any level? Best piece of coaching advice. Wow. I mean, I've had a lot of great coaches that have given me great advice. Well, maybe uh, uh, I had one, one big league, uh, one uh, coach tell me, nothing ever happens good after midnight, so make sure you go home and get some rest. And uh, I, I always use that line on, on the teams I've managed, and uh, uh, it's sort of been a mantra. Yeah, nothing ever good. Uh, happens after midnight. So get your butt back home and get some rest and get ready for tomorrow. When you did make the majors, 1988, you made an impact right away. You were rookie of the year that year. You made the all-star game. Tell me about that season. Just what's going through your mind at that point. It's five years removed from you. You're playing in college. You're playing in the minors. You're progressing through the system. You've had good years and bad years and you're going crazy. You're becoming a phenom. You were a baseball card icon. What's going through your mind as a 26 year old rookie in 1988? Not much. Uh, I was a little upset. 87, I would have been called up towards the end. Uh, I was in AAA in Nashville and uh, I, I uh, tore my knee up and, uh, so I had to get, you know, that ended my season. I was having a good season and, and, uh, I tried to play on, the, on a bum knee and, you know, sort of finally I just couldn't take it anymore. I had to get an operation. And, uh, so I was a little disappointed that I didn't make my debut in, uh, uh in late season, uh, 87. And then uh, I worked hard over the off season. I, I was ready to go, uh, for spring training of 88 and I had a great spring training and, and uh, fortunately for me and unfortunately for Buddy Bell, Buddy Bell got injured. Uh, I was going to make that team anyway, uh, but he got injured and I got an opportunity. And, you know, my dad used to always say, you know, you might only get one opportunity. <clears throat> so take advantage of it. And I did. And, uh, I mean, I was young. I was, I was still strong. And, and uh, it was great. And I loved, Cincinnati was a great place to play. We had, good, we had a good team, and good manager and Pete Rose. And, and uh, it was fun. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was great. 
it was great. I mean, it was, you know, we, we had a good team, and I was playing well. The all-star game was in Cincinnati. So it was, uh, I don't know if it was a dream come true, but it was uh, a very, very exciting time and uh, something I'll never forget. What's your relationship with Pete Rose? Oh, great. I mean, we're not like best pals, but he's, he's, he's great. No, he was my manager. He was great. He helped me out. Uh, I respected Pete. And uh, obviously, he, I don't see him that much. I, I probably see him once or twice a year when I do Reds functions, either Reds Fest or uh, whatever, uh, Reds Hall of Fame. I, I, do, I do a lot of stuff for the Reds still, you know, just helping them out. And uh, well, when I ever see him, we have a great time. I, I just saw him in June. I had to go up there when Adam Dunn got inducted in the Reds Hall of Fame, and Pete was up there. And actually, we had a we had the sign in the uh, Reds Hall of Fame, and me and him were right next to each other, and we talked the whole time. And I love Pete's great. I have I have no uh, no problems with Pete at all. He he really helped me out, and I I have a lot to uh, be thankful uh, for my relationship with Pete Rose. You mentioned blowing out your knee in '87. The next year, you still stole over 40 bases when you were a rookie. You dealt with injuries throughout your career. Was there one injury yeah. in particular that, when you, when it happened, you felt that that would change your career forever? Well, it did. I mean, uh, I was having a pretty good career, and uh, I stole uh, I stole second base in, in, in Candlestick Park. And Candlestick Park, they they make that dirt really hard. So it's so windy there, so it doesn't blow all over the place. And I, I slid head first, and I landed kind of weird. Uh, I mean, it's hard to, I, mean, I, I didn't land like I normally did, a little cockeyed. And uh, I felt something really in my back. And uh ended up being, I really ruptured my disc bad. And, uh, and uh, but I, I kept trying to play. And, I, and I, I, I played the rest of the season with it. And uh, as it turns out, that was probably the worst thing I could have done. And uh, the back was never the same. I mean, because I just pretty much destroyed uh, uh, the disc. So there was really nothing left in there. And uh, after that, I was never really the same player. I, mean, I was still pretty decent, but I lost a lot of my explosiveness. Uh, I'm not that big of a guy. I, mean, I played at 5'11", 190. And, uh, but I lost a lot of explosiveness with my swing and, and my speed. Uh, I'm still, I still feel. It really didn't affect my feeling as much. Uh, yeah, but I lost a lot of the explosiveness, and, and, I, and then I'd go through stretches where, I mean, the back would hurt so much I couldn't even, couldn't even tie my spikes. And, you know, that would last. So I was never the same. I, I, I probably, you know, I tried playing three more, three or four more years, and really wasn't the same kind of guy. But, you know, I kept trying. I kept thinking it would get better, and it never really did. And finally, I just, I just it was just – useless and I just had to shut it down. The 1990 Reds team that you were on that of course won the World Series was known at the time for having a dominant bullpen. The nasty boys, all these guys were throwing hard, especially hard for the time. But now when you look at major league bullpens where everyone is throwing 95 plus, I think the average fastball velocity in the playoffs was over 95 miles an hour, which is crazy when you think about that, that the average pitch is going that fast. And when you see what modern bullpens have become, what do you think of all that? Well, first of all, those three guys we had all threw over 95. I mean, every single one of them. I mean, and uh, Dibble threw over 100. Uh, But Charlton and Myers are well over 90 miles, uh, 95. So I mean, they were ahead of their time, you know, they're, they, they would fit right into these guys right now, you know? So, I mean, Dibble, I remember Dibble got to- clocked at 104 at Chase Stadium one pitch. He averaged that inning at 101. 
Uh, so uh, those guys, those three guys could have pitched in any era, and they, they would fit right in today. And uh, you're right. When, when I played, if, if we could get a lead by the sixth inning, seventh inning, uh, even if just one run, we felt pretty confident bringing those three guys in there that uh, we'd shut it down. And uh, they, they were valuable. I mean, they, I think all three of them belong in the Reds Hall of Fame as one unit. I mean, they're, you know, it takes a lot of people to win a World Series, but they were definitely a big, a big part of it. Without those guys, I don't think we could have won the uh, World Series. And, and, and besides that, I thought they were great guys and enjoyed them as teammates. And, and they, they were characters. I mean, I mean, we had a bunch of characters. And I, li- I, like, I like teams with personality. And, and those guys certainly had a lot of personality. How do you think your career would be different, if at all, with all of the new metrics that are available today? No, I, I, I never thought about that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, all I know is if, if someone gave me a, a, the whole right side of the infield to get a hit on, I would have I tried. I mean, I was all about getting hits, and uh, you give me a big hole like that, I mean, I wouldn't have been that proud. Uh, you know, I would at least try to hit a few balls over there to keep them honest. And uh, yeah, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, it'd be interesting. I, I was a pull hitter. Uh, when I got into pro baseball, uh, I, was, I, I hit more balls the other way in high school and college, you know, uh, and I, I could get away with it. But in pro ball, I, it wasn't strong enough, especially during my era where, you know, maybe the ball wasn't as lively as it is today. Uh, well, I could hit the ball effectively long to right center and right field and center field. I, I probably only got one or two home runs of right field my whole career. Uh, so I had to learn to become a pull hitter so I could hit for power at the big leagues. You know, back then, a third baseman had to hit power. And, and uh, so I had to change my swing a little bit once I got in the pro ball. As the new role now, as, a, as the new manager of the Akron Zips, I want to shift focus into your present day life. You just got this hey. job. You were named the manager last week. I think you just started last week. What have you been doing in this first week? Are you building a staff? Are you reaching out to kids? What's the first thing that you've been doing as, as your new job approaches here? Well, the first thing is trying to get a staff together. And uh, I've been working on that hard. I mean, that's important. This, this is a big job. I mean, I mean, it's never happened on D1 level before. And we got a lot of work to do. I mean, I mean, we don't have a, one piece of equipment. So this is like a full, a full rebuild, you know, equipment, uniforms, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so the first thing I do is get a staff. Uh, I'm pretty close, and I hope to have those guys in place. You know, hopefully, you know, by December first, if, if, if at all possible. And then uh, my top two guys will be recruiting guys. You know, they'll be in charge of recruiting, and uh, I, you know, I'm looking for young guys, and we're going to go out and get players. We're, we're going to give a lot of kids a lot of opportunity. You know, I could see us bringing in, you know. You can have 35 players on your uh, spring roster. I, I can see us bringing in, you know, 45, 50 guys in the fall, giving a lot of kids great opportunities to try to make my team because this is a great opportunity for them, you know, for kids that slip through the cracks and stuff like that. So uh, I can see that and give them a g- great opportunity to play and show us what you got. And, uh, you know, then it'll be our job as uh, coaches to uh, get those players. But, uh Believe it or not, there, there has not been, a, uh, ever since my uh, email uh, went up there, I mean, I've been bombarded, as you can imagine, by potential players and, and uh, their interest in the University of Akron. And uh, so I don't think we'll have enough, I don't think we'll have a problem finding players. It's just, 
can we find uh, enough mid-American type players that, that can play in this conference where we can uh, hit the ground running, so to speak, where we can actually compete our first year, which will be the spring of 2020. Do you hope to install TrackMan type things or StatCast type things? I guess in the minors and in college, they use TrackMan, not StatCast. But will you have systems like that in place to help evaluate your players? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, if we have the the funds to buy that stuff. I mean, when I was down at IMG, we had hit tracks, and you know, those are uh, those are big, oh, those are big ticket items. I mean, those are twenty five grand uh, to get those things. Yeah, if we if we could get one of those, we, we find some funding either through donors or or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I I, I love that stuff. I mean, I I think it's fascinating. I mean, I, I know the numbers and stuff like that, and the launch angle and exit velocity and and uh, let's face it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not that old school. I mean, I got to adjust. And kids love that. And uh, you know, hopefully down the road we can get all that stuff. I mean, I think it's a great, great tool, and it's a good recruiting tool too. Kids love it. I mean, you know, as long as they don't go overboard with it and just you know go out of their swing to, to try to get their numbers up, then I think it's a good thing. Yeah, but we'll we'll try to get that stuff. It's just a matter of finding the funding. Is there one thing that you hope becomes your signature of the Zips program? What would that be? Oh, just that, uh, that I, I create good human beings. I mean, that's always been my philosophy uh, coaching, uh, you know, whether it's been pro or uh, the chance you, you're making a, a living in, in this game isn't great. I mean, the odds are so far against you. Uh, so uh, it's important that they, they become good students, uh, Good people, you know, eventually good husbands, good good fathers, productive people in society, uh, that kind of stuff. They'll, they'll get better in baseball. I've never, I've never coached one kid, whether it's Joey Votto or, or high school kids down in Florida. I mean, they'll all get better. And uh, so that, that's the easiest thing I do. But uh, I would like to, uh, you, know, you know, 20, 30 years down the road, I would say, yeah, you know, I would like to thank Coach Sable. So give me some good life lessons that really helped me in life and made me a success and uh, made me a good human being. And, you know, you know, I, I would want them to feel fondly about their time here at Akron during their four years. It's interesting. You mentioned that, you know, the program hasn't even got up and running yet, but you're already getting emails from kids and from parents about their kid. Do you plan on recruiting primarily in the Midwest or will that expand beyond that? Are all of the emails you're getting from Midwestern kids or are some kids from the East Coast? I wonder if this is an opportunity for some kids on the East Coast that may not have gotten a chance because they're not playing baseball as much because of the cold weather and everything. I think my plan right now, at least until we get this up and running, uh, I'm looking for mostly Ohio kids. Uh, because we won't be fully funded with athletic scholarships uh, that first year, unless something dramatic happens between now and 2020, which would be great. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're looking for kids that uh, maybe slip through the cracks a little bit. Maybe the Ohio States don't want, or the Kent States don't want, and uh, or maybe wanted or didn't have room. I mean, I think those are the guys we're probably looking at, and uh, maybe a kid with maybe a little chip on their shoulder, maybe you know, upset that Ohio State didn't come a knocking. And, uh, but we'll give them a chance. Like I said, we're going to bring in guys in the fall and, and, uh, it's a great opportunity for, uh, student athletes. I mean, there's 35 open spots. I mean, there's no incumbents. There's nothing. And this is a, this is a great opportunity to, to play division one baseball on a very good baseball conference. I mean, the mid-American conference is a, 
it was a fine baseball conference with a great history. Uh, a lot of guys go on to Major League Baseball out of this uh, conference, and uh, you can win. You know, there's plenty of teams in this conference that have gone to the uh, College World Series, and, and Kent State did it a few years back. So it is possible to get to the highest level in this, in, in this league. I'm curious, just going back to your playing career briefly, what would be different? What would you change? If you could change one thing about your career, what would it be? Oh, like I mentioned earlier, it would be the back, the back injury. I would have, uh, I would have shut it down and let that thing heal uh, properly, you know, missing the rest of the year uh, and let that disc heal. Uh, and uh, I think that was a big turning point. Uh, you know, maybe we didn't have the uh, medicine or technology that we have now. I don't think MRIs were even around back then. Uh, it was just x-rays. And uh, so, yeah, that, that'd be the only thing. I mean, as far as playing and winning and losing, nothing would change, but it'd be more to do with my health. I think if I were taking care of my back back then, I, no, my, my back still hurts. I mean, you know, you know it's just a matter of managing uh, my back now and, and that which I, I do a pretty good job of, but you know, that's the only thing I would change. I, I would have taken the time to let that heal properly, and uh, I think it could have had a uh, a positive effect on the on the tail end of my career. Do you have a favorite baseball card of yourself? I do not. Oh, maybe maybe the only one would be uh, I don't know. There's one card where I guess we had just won the World Series or, or won a World Series game, and I'm running off the field, and Barry Larkin is doing like a handstand or something. And uh, I thought I thought that was hilarious. So that that might be my favorite one. I, I, I don't know who made it, but uh, yeah, Larkin's doing a handstand after running off the field. That's very cool. I was uh, a, a, I collected your cards as a kid because I loved players that wore glasses. I was a kid that wore glasses oh. and that loved baseball. So uh, you and Tom Hankey were big favorites of mine. Oh yeah, Hankey. Yeah, he was he was tough to hit. He was a good pitcher, and uh, yeah, Hankey was a good man. You've been listening to Chris Sabo. Chris spent nine seasons in the major leagues and is now the head coach of the Akron Zips. Chris, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Well, thank you. That was fun and uh, anytime.